need to shine some biblical and scholarly light on this area. Hey, this is Unrefined Podcast. Welcome to another episode. Hey, 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 you guys. Uh, this is another episode of Unrefined Podcast, and I have Lindsay here with me. Hey, guys. And we have a very special guest, Dr. R.L. Solberg. I just, I'm so ready to dive into to what he has to say because it's been something that's been on my heart, and it's actually been something that I kind of uh, got, I guess, to say a better word, rope a with, sort of. <laughs> When I found his his book, which we're going to talk about today, it was a real lifesaver, real lifeline to get me back um, to my moorings and, and and stuff. So, welcome, Doctor Solberg. We, we appreciate you being here. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. Yeah. Um, can you kind of start out? Start out. Just give us a little background. I mean, you're a professor in Nashville, mm-hmm. and and just give us a little your background and kind of lead into how you got involved in what we're talking about today, which is basically the the spectrum that is Hebrew roots, which sure. I, I think that's really important for people to get is it's a spectrum and yeah. not oh, yeah. everybody, not everybody in that movement are the keyboard warriors that want to destroy you. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. There's sure. a lot of really good people in there. And I, I, and those are the ones my heart goes out to. So anyway, same, so, same. so, so take it away. Tell us a little about yourself. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, my friends call me Rob, by the way. Feel free to call me Rob. Uh, I am a professor here in Nashville at a little Christian college, um, professor of theology. I am an author as well. I've got a couple books out, a couple more on the way. Um, I've been, I've been uh, around in the space of apologetics for a couple decades now. Started out mm. really very much interested in kind of the crossroads between atheism and faith and science and Christianity and kind of that whole era, which is what most people think about that area when they think about apologetics. But um, probably, uh, let's see, it would have been five years ago now, I ended up having this conversation online with with some old friends of mine. Um, we're from, Nash- we live in Nashville, but we're from Minneapolis. We've been down here 20 years. So some old friends from Minneapolis were posting some things on their Facebook, uh, you know, feed, as will often happen. And, yeah. uh, you know, me being a glutton for punishment and somewhat of a contrarian had to step in and <laughs> ended up, long story short, uh, what I refer to as walking through the back of the wardrobe into this <laughs> other world that I'm like, what are, I had no idea what they were talking about. It ended up being Hebrew roots or this wider version, you know, which yeah. I've sort of coined Torahism, which yes. we can get into. But so that was my first um first exposure to that. And I, and I, of course I I wanted to dive in and see, because these were friends of ours we had gone to church with. And I thought, well, why in the world is he posting that? You know, Christmas is pagan and don't celebrate the birth of Jesus. And I'm like, well, okay, that's a left turn. Um, so as I stepped into it, I began to, you know, get exposed to this whole line of thinking. And, and, um, I felt like God had very clearly and I'll be honest, to my disappointment, assigned me to this outpost of apologetics 
called Hebrew Roots. And mm. I thought, what is the point? And not the point. I, I mean, I understood very clearly that that's what God wanted me to do. I had a lot of confirmation around me from pastors and such who were dealing with it. But I just really felt like it was this weird outpost that no one's ever heard of. And I wanted to be in the thick of things, you know, fighting for God's army kind of thing. So, um, but, you know, as always happens, God was right. I was wrong. There's a lot going on there. There's a lot at stake. There's a lot of damage happening. And there's almost nobody discussing it in detail or directly. I mean, there have been a number of theologians who have commented on it sort of as a side as a side comment, or maybe they'll have one episode or something, one, you know, one chapter about it kind of thing. But, but I just really felt like, okay, we need to shine some biblical and scholarly light on this area and understand. I, and like you, my heart was broken because I thought, why are these folks, it almost felt like they were, they were trying to um, put their feet and hands back into chains. Yes. That, that Jesus had shed his blood to get us out of. Um, yes. And so, yeah, so that really captured it. And then, of course, the, the positive side of it was I really got deeply into um, the, the Tanakh, the Old Testament, the, the Hebrew yeah. scriptures, and, and I just really fell in love with uh, how God did it in all of the insane uh, typology and, and prefiguring that we see in, in the Hebrew scriptures that Jesus fulfilled in the New Testament. And it was just, to me, it was amazing and, and made me even more in awe of Jesus than I was before I started this thing. So I, I'm happy God sent me out here to this outpost. Yeah, I want to I I interject one thing, too, that I think is important everybody needs to know is I, I, I kind of, I think, saw on your website or somewhere that you're an audiophile and you're in a band, too. So that, yeah. that gives you oh, yeah. a, extra kudos. Do you play guitar? Is that what you play? I do, yeah. I'm, I consider myself a recovering professional musician. Um, yeah, yeah. I used to make well, my living doing that a while back, and my wife's a singer too. So right now we spend a lot of our time, uh, pretty much all our music time is ministry time. So we do a lot yeah. in prison, praise and, and worship. Yeah, yep. I'm actually That's talking cool. to you on a really nice studio mic I bought way a long time ago. So nice. yeah, I, I, I'm learning to play the guitar now. So that anyway, that I, I just was attracted to that aspect too. So yeah. anyway, That's great, Lindsay. Lindsay, what were you going to say, bro? Well. I was just going to say, I don't know if this is a good place. To, I mean, you did kind of jump in, but I found the whole P&E framework, as you as you call it in the book, pretty helpful, the principle oh. and expression, and was wondering if you could just kind of give us a quick rundown on that as it relates to, to Torahism. Oh, sure. Yeah, this, this is great. So one of the problems I, I run into a lot is the idea that... Um, you know, there's there's the there's there's t sort of two sets of um, theological positions in the Bible, and how yeah. do we harmonize them? One of them is, hey, we've got all these scriptures about God's law is eternal, God is unchanging, and and um, we we have to affirm that, right? I mean, God is unchanging in His nature and and what He commands and and all yeah. those sorts of things. So you're grappling with, okay, this is and that that makes sense, and that, this is God Almighty. Of course, He doesn't change; He's perfect. Right. So right. then we've got things that say, well, wait a second. We've got all these New Testament passages that say, wow, because of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, some things have changed. So, you know, I mean, one of the biggest examples that I'll, that I'll often use is the, is the, the veil in the temple. 
right? That's one, I mean, it's a very simple thing, but the, the Torah yeah. requires that there be a, a beautiful veil that separates the most holy place in the very center of the temple. Mm-hmm. And then, as we know, in Matthew 27, 51, when Jesus died, the moment he died, God tore the veil down. And so you say, wait a second, did he change his mind? How do we huh. reconcile huh. that? If the law, which is supposed to be eternal, required a veil in the temple, why did God rip down the veil? And how do we reconcile that with a, an unchanging, perfect, morally perfect God? Right. And so, well, oh, go and, ahead. And you and you run into the fact that ontologically, God's changed in some kind of mysterious way. He now has humanity in the Godhead. I mean, that's right. That so so there has to be some room there for that philosophical construct of him being unchanging. So I don't Right. Know. Oh yeah, it's not you can't be looking at him as if he's uh, unchanging like a a rock. A monad, yeah. Yeah, yeah <laughs> right, exactly. There is, but here's the thing that I think and for me this is the where the P&E, the principle and expression framework yeah. really came came forward was the idea, okay, how do we how do we harmonize those thoughts? Because this becomes a very big sticking point for folks who are in the in the into Torahism or Hebrew roots, they don't want to let go of their lofty view of God, nor should they. Um, and yet yeah. they need to account for what Jesus did. And so we end up look, looking at it to say, well, so the first thing I would say is this, yes, changes have occurred, but not because God changed. Uh, mm. the, the changes that we see happening are, well, on, uh, for n- number one, th- they are not changes to God. He intended this from the very beginning. So we're right. We are living out the plan that he already ordained, and we are not veering from it. Right. The, the change is mostly from our perspective. But number two, um, and this is where we'll get to the P&E, and I'll give a real brief overview of what that framework is in a second here. But yeah, the second do. thing is that, hey, if, if God um, changed, so to speak, uh, in what sense did he change? In what sense did things change? And so you look at, um, uh, well, actually, let me, let me kind of just give you the brief overview. We can get into some very specific details if, if you want. But the general, like the 60-second version of the P&E framework is this very, very simple concept, nothing new. It's the idea that God is unchanging in his moral perfection, and he's got a set of principles by which he runs the universe, by which he created everything, by which it's just his nature. He can't change right. those principles. Mm-hmm. So we've got a, a set of unchanging eternal principles, and then we've got the different ways that God expresses those principles. And so the, the easy analogy is to, is to liken it to a parent who has the principle, let's say, for their children, be kind to others. That's my principle as a parent, and I want to teach my child that. Well, the way I teach my toddler that is don't hit your brother and share your toys right? That's how I'm expressing Uh it to them. Now, as my child matures, I'm going to be able to express that to them in in more profound and nuanced ways, right? So I'll start to be able to say, look, I think it's really important that you volunteer and and serve other people and and help other people out because that's part of being kind. And also... um, Go go you know go go no, uh, mow your neighbor's lawn or mm-hmm. um, you know speak words of life into people to build them up don't tear them down those sorts of things so you can see that the principle never changed I've always held that we need to be kind to others but I've expressed it differently to my toddler than to my teenager and and yeah. the reason is not because my principles changed and not because I changed it's because my 
toddler or my child has changed. And so we have something very similar if we look at that against the, against the scripture, against the story, the meta narrative of God's people. We've got a people that God just called Abraham from Ur of the Chaldees out of nowhere and decided, hey, I'm going to make you a nation. And so there, here comes this nation out of all these, all of this pagan background. They're in the ancient Near East with all their, 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 you know, polytheistic neighbors. And so God's trying to grow up his children, so to speak, to, to know him better, right? So he reveals himself and he begins revealing himself in fire and clouds in the, in the desert and by giving manna and by parting the Red Sea and rescuing his people and all that. So uh, over the course of time, God's people know more about him. And if you think about it in the beginning, God spoke just directly to Adam or just directly to Abraham, right? Well, then right. he's speaking to Moses and then to the rest of the nation of Israel. And all of a sudden now, at some point along the way, we actually get written scriptures. So now people are able to share about this Yahweh, this creator God, this living God. And throughout that process now, you know, Israel's disobedient, the prophets come, we learn more about the heart of God and who he is. And when Jesus comes, you know, the book of Hebrews says he's the, the exact nature of God. God's revealed himself in a way he never had before. So his people have now matured and, and are now far more aware of him than they were back before Abraham was born, right? And so you've got this long-term historical view of the, the maturation or the growing up of God's people. And so now he needs to express his principles differently. So the one example I'll give you from the Bible, and then I can, I can pause, I could talk for four hours on this, um, is, the, is the idea of there's the principle we read in Leviticus 17.11 that it's blood that atones for sin. Right. So, the, the, you know, and then we could kind of trace that from the garden with Adam and Eve. They mm -hmm. sinned, and then we see that God made for them clothes out of the skins of animals, which tells us that God shed blood because of their sin in order to get the skins from the animals and clothe Adam and Eve. And so this like this constant reminder that they caused that. And then, of course, as time goes on, we see at, at the law of Moses at Sinai, God made it very official and formal. Look, we're going we're gonna to have Yom Kippur. You know, read about that in Leviticus 16. Every year we're going to shed the blood of animals for the explicit reason of atoning for sin. So God's principle that he established, we don't know why, but in a way it doesn't matter. It's his principle. We, we live by it, that blood atones for sin. So we see that expressed in the garden in one way. We see that expressed differently and far more formally in the law of Moses, and then you get to Jesus. And so now Jesus shed his blood for the atonement, for the propitiation of our sins, Romans 3.25. And so you see that God's principle of requiring blood for sin never changed, but through Jesus, it was expressed and satisfied in a completely new and different way. Hebrews 10 tells us that the, 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 sin, the sacrifice of Jesus was once for all, and that Hebrews 10, 18, there is no more offering for sin, because what mm -hmm. Jesus did was once for everybody. So, you know, in a sense, you could say, hey, do Christians have a blood sacrifice like the Israelites? And the answer would be, well, yeah, we do. It was Jesus, and it's done, you know? Mm -hmm. It's completely satisfied. So that's one just quick overview of this idea of an unchanging morally perfect God dealing with his knucklehead human beings <laughs> along the way who, who don't fully understand. And so, you know, I mean, that's, that in and of itself to me is astounding, the way that he has condescended to humanity 
um, to account for our, our flaws and our, our sinfulness, you know? Yeah. What you're talking about just really harkens me back to Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer's one of my favorite, favorite. I, I just dig him. Anyway, his, yeah, his book on discipleship and all that stuff. But I think about that whole era and how this whole principle you're talking about, and, and even before the Mosaic Law, which I think that is the crucial thing dealing with, uh, uh, I sense this from your book, dealing with the spectrum of Hebrew roots, is the Mosaic Law versus these principles of God. You see before the Mosaic Law, it's almost like, and, and he didn't do this, and I'm not saying this, but it's almost like he winked at sin, sins that would normally be against the Mosaic Law, and they weren't punished. But then the once the Mosaic Law was instituted, a guy touched the ark, and he was, no, the first, the first death was the guy out getting sticks out in the field, and he was you know, smiting instantly for getting, going and getting sticks. On the Sabbath, yeah. And you look back at Abraham and you see all the stuff that he did, the lies that was kind of, you know, generationally passed down and all this kind of stuff. And, and it's like God had a real, a real grace way of dealing with them, which I think God deals with us in grace. And I think you put that in your book. It's always about grace. Hey, my unrefined friends. I just want to tell you guys that I am so thankful that you are my life. Some of our best fans uh, have been writing to us and, and I, I just so encouraged about how lives are being transformed and people are getting something out of this podcast. I mean, that's what it's all about. That's why we're doing this is to glorify Jesus and to just look at the world and have a, a more open view of the seen and the unseen and the supernatural in the world. So while we're doing that, we're going to handle all different kinds of topics. But see, what I'd like for you to be involved in or part of is our members only group things that are coming in our members only group that are going to just blow your mind not to mention there's gonna be episodes in there that you won't be able to hear just on the normal episode channel so make sure to visit our website at unrefinedpodcast.com and check out our members only community i just can't stress the fact that you know we're after building a community and there's there's so much out there you guys and there's so much coming i really believe we need to build these strong communities of christ followers to to be able to handle what might be coming in the in the future days we're sure that you'd be a good fit and we cannot wait i can't wait to see you there then I think about Dietrich Bonhoeffer in that era and, and even um, uh, Anne Frank, you see what you're talking about progressively working through it. And then you go back to Bonhoeffer. Um, I mean, here I am, I'm, I'm opening the door. There's a Nazi at my door and they say, do you have any Jews in your basement? And I say, no, I have just violated a law of God. One of the huh. 10 commandments. I have lied. However, I have lied for a super, a better principle, which kind of trumps out that lie. And, and I, I think right. that legalists miss that out. They miss, they, they don't, they don't get that. And that's what you were getting at in your book. Right. I mean, that's a lot of the, the gist of what you were getting at. Oh, that, yeah. That's an interesting subtext. Yeah. There, there's the idea of course, of a hierarchy of, of uh, morality, 
Um, and so we can't, and life isn't nice and neat and orderly. And so we can't like, for example, say every, uh, law on, in the law of Moses must be kept. Jesus even yeah. talked about that, right? He said, you'll even, he, he, he said, life is more important than the Sabbath. So mm -hmm. you will rescue somebody or an animal on the Sabbath, even though you're supposed to be resting because you understand that there's a, a higher priority there. Yeah. And so yeah. that's very true. I, haven't, I hadn't even thought of that. That's super interesting. But applying that to the Hebrew roots movement to say, look, you guys might say we need to keep X, Y, and Z, but there's actually more important things in terms of the hierarchy. You know, and a lot of times what will happen is they, they will try to hold both the law of Moses and the gospel of Jesus at the same time because they don't recognize the superiority of Jesus. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. And so you, you get into a lot of sort of um, illogical theological positions because of that. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that was that was what I was going trying to trying to go for is, is I see that. And when I was reading your book, that's what I really it jumped out at me. I'm like, you know, that also is true for, we're like, um, it's not like there's a law behind the law. I, I think it's like what you said. There's, there's a progression of the law that we don't get because we're, we're in a, in a great, and this offends theologians all over the place. But I just believe this. I, I think that there is gray in the world. I still think there's black and white, but I think that there's gray. And then God is the only one that sees everything black and white, you know? And and so this this gray. Yeah. This... Well, he knows our hearts. He knows our motivations. Yes. Yeah. You know what's interesting is that there's a. I think there's a misunderstanding sometimes in the purpose of the giving of the law of Moses specifically, mm. yeah. because as you've just alluded to, things like we know murder was wrong long before the law of Moses was given because of Cain and Abel, right? And we know sexual immorality was wrong because of of Sodom and Gomorrah. These things are, these are things that were in place and and they are part of God's unchanging holy nature and have been since long before the law was given. So yeah. there was a particular point in human history that God gave the law. You know, Paul says in Galatians that it was 430 years after Abraham. So there's a very and this by the way, in terms of broader apologetic, this is something that I just love about the Christian faith is that it is so entirely rooted in actual human history, you know, and that mm, to me that mm -hmm. gives it such weight and, and substance. Um, but so you've got this point in time when God said, look, there's a bunch of stuff that's wrong. You know, you kind of know it, you know, some of this stuff, but I, I need to set down, uh, establish these particular laws. And there was a purpose for that. And I think we miss what that was. We kind of get conflated in it mm -hmm. in that, Look at he he at that point when he wanted to give that law here he had he had he had called for himself out of the you know supernaturally out of out of the womb of Sarah this nation that eventually ended up being called Israel that was in slavery for centuries and God rescued them out of slavery so here he has a brand new so to speak you know a fledgling nation fresh out of slavery he needed to establish some laws for them so they could understand not only how to run a, a, a proper God-honoring society, but also so that they could, that he could point them toward his ultimate solution for sin, right? So a lot of the law was given to point out and to, to make it obvious that this can't be the final, this can't be God's final design, that we're going to sacrifice animals every year for sin repeatedly forever. Mm -hmm. There's, it's pointing to something bigger, right? Yeah. And so, It's yeah. funny you brought that up, Rob. I, you talked about this a little bit earlier, but 
just this idea of Christ's once and for all blood sacrifice. And that that that's bigger than even just the Hebrew roots, because I know people of people, I don't know them personally, but that believe that in the millennial kingdom, the, the rebuilt temple will issue blood sacrifices, not just as a memorial, but for people's sins. I right. mean, these aren't even Hebrew too. roots people. So that, that that touches on that as well, I think. Oh, for sure, yeah. And so the to me, the, the way I respond to that, because I hear that quite a bit, okay, if that's true, then explain to me why Jesus died. Exactly. What, what did the yep. shedding of his blood achieve? If it's not almost... what the Bible says. I mean, it's, it's, it's extremely clear in Scripture what it achieved. Mm-hmm. But, but the point is, I, I think there is, I think, and maybe that's what you're getting at, there's a disconnect sometimes in people's minds that, yeah. oh, yeah. the animal sacrifices were actually a pointer to something bigger. You know, like Paul yes. says in, in Colossians 2, that these things were shadows of, of the real substance, which is Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's an important thing, too. And here, here's another interesting side of that, and I think it's really important, is that there is a pendulum that kind of swings back and forth, and, and I, I am actually mm-hmm. very sympathetic to the Hebrew roots position that modern Christianity has become a little too, you know... Um, wishy-washy and fuzzy yep. and, you know, yep. feel good. And like, yep. you know, a lot of times you we, feel like some yep. pastors, it's like, is that a Ted talk or is that a sermon? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, well, that's, my, so I, that's I my big totally joke. get that. My and big so, joke, Rob, oh, is it, my, that's my big joke with people. We, we plant, Lindsay and I, we're part of the DMM. We do discipleship making movements. So we plant like organic and house churches. And one of my big jokes I say is that most modern Christianity is a Ted talk and a concert, you know? And and yeah, I, I'm not making right. I'm not making fun Self-help of worship sermon or something. Yeah, and I'm not making fun of worship because there's really good anointed worship, but at the same time, a lot of worship is a performance. So yeah, I totally get mm-hmm. there. I, I I agree with you as a member of the worship team at my church. <laughs> we talk about that a lot. Our team does. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Great. And so the the response to that. So if if we look at the response to that, we would say, okay, look. You guys are too flighty. I want some substance. I want to be connected to the ancient roots of of Christianity. And so it's understandable that someone would then begin this journey into the Old Testament and and going, well, wait a second, Jesus was Jewish. What does that all mean? You know, what does Messiah mean? Um, And so you you start following that path, and that's a beautiful thing. I love that. Um, And I've done the same thing myself and fallen in love with, with the Hebrew you know, ancient history. I'm going to Israel next month to actually see mm-hmm. the Holy Land for the first time. So cool. this is all very heady and exciting stuff for me, and I love that. But when the pendulum swings too far, what happens is, and I had Dr. Michael Brown on my show a while back, and he, he kind of talked about this idea that, the, the, you know, first you get, you get um, fascinated by it, right? So you get all excited and you're pulled in, and then, and then you sort of get... Um, I forget the four words he used. It was great, but you, you get drawn in. And you want to really learn uh, what what it's all about, and so you start diving into scriptures, and you're all motivated and stuff. But eventually, there comes a point when you reach this kind of stage of things become really complicated. Um, so as you're trying to pursue a Torah observant, you can't see me. I'm doing air quotes around the word Torah observant um, <laughs> lifestyle. You start to get things get really complicated. Like, wait a second, is it? Is it wrong for me to celebrate the birth of Christ? Is there a different day I should be doing this, you know, or, or the resurrection of Christ? Shouldn't I just do Passover and not Easter? And 
can I have ham? If, what if my Christian <laughs> friends invite me over? What am I allowed to, you know what I mean? There's all this complication. And then what happens is if you, at that point, hopefully, you know, a reasonable, reasonable person would back off and say, look, I need to harmonize this. I need to understand the proper right. perspective, the proper balance here. But for those who don't, they, they keep pushing forward and all of a sudden they start, um, judging others. They start, they start legislating for other people. Guys, you got to be, how dare you eat bacon? That's a sin and you're a sinner. Mm -hmm. And you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. there's this slippery slope that not everyone goes down, but some people are susceptible to. And so they are maybe starting out with a very um, noble uh, inclination that I want to look deeper at the roots of my faith. Beautiful. Okay, go, you go do that, right? But then at some point along the way, some folks get really just pulled in. And now they're at the point where they're trying to preach to everybody. They're, they're causing division in their families. I can't tell you how many messages I get every week from, oftentimes it's a spousal situation where mm -hmm. one or the other got into it and the other one's like, I don't even know if this marriage is going to last now. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, and I've had, I had a call with a, a pastor last week, a uh, little church in, in Southern California, trying to figure out what to do because his church is about to split because there's this faction of Hebrew roots folks that are demanding they begin, they have to meet on Saturdays, can't meet on Sunday anymore, and they have to start eating kosher and all this stuff. Anyway, it's the pendulum swinging too far. And so I want to be careful um, when I address it to not throw everything out. I want to I honor the beautiful parts of a um, passion for the Hebrew roots of the faith. Right, but I also need to call out, in particular, when the when the beliefs, the theology, the practices are actually slapping Jesus in the face, like they're they are turning their back on the gospel and what He did for us. And there are many that cross that line, and so that's kind of where the that's that's the mission of my apologetics ministry is to, you know, stand for the truth of Scripture, but also call out things when they're dangerous or when they're unbiblical, when they're leading to, to wrong outcomes. There's a yeah. lot of bad fruit that comes from that. Part, part of uh, my journey and, and what got me turned on to you and, and how I found um, you and, and all this kind of stuff was we're, we're, our podcast is what you would call a, a fringy podcast. We're into uh, different types of stuff like um, Heiser's, uh, uh, you know, Genesis six type stuff and uh divine council worldview mm -hmm. and, yep. and, and it just, just all kinds of stuff. It, it's a fun podcast. We enjoy it and, and all this kind of stuff. But what we're noticing in our circles, which is what you call fringy circles, what happens is people come in right. and they, they get a understanding of this and it rocks their world. Michael Heiser rocks their world because he can't help but do that, you know? And and, yeah, and so what, I know. Yeah, he, he so, was great. Yeah, and so what happens is they start to talk about this in their church, and they get alienated from their church. Yeah, it 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 attracts uh, because they're so fringy, and they already feel alienated from their church. So the, the all it takes is for the Hebrew roots people to come in and just and I'm talking about some um, on the more uh, sketchy spectrum just come in and love bomb them and pull them in sure. and evangel and evangelize them and next thing you know boom they're they're part of the hebrew roots and yep. and a lot of the gen six and all that kind yep. of hebrew stuff that you learn from heiser fits in really well because they're already interested in that you know i i'm an anglican priest I, i'm not practicing that right now but i'm an anglican priest and that's what sucked me in, in the canterbury trail was 
first it was the fascination with early church and it was the liturgy and all that kind of stuff. And I still love all that stuff, but I was smart enough to not get into it to where I, I started forcing it on everybody. You know, there's, they, we joke, there's nothing worse than a, a, a like a convert from another religion because then they gotta, they gotta like substantiate <laughs> why they, why they converted to that, you know, to that denomination or whatever. And so right. I understand, I totally understand that. And, and so that's anyway, I, in my story, Rob, I got kind of sucked in with a lady who was, uh, we had her as a guest on our podcast and I had no idea she was Heba Root. She even told me she wasn't. And I didn't know there was such a spectrum, but she was part of the way, you know, and I'm like, okay, I've never heard of that. And okay. yeah. And, and which I've realized now is a movement of a lot of Hebrew roots people. And she sent me this video and what, what really got me, I watched the whole video and I was like, this is, this looks like Galatians. Like this looks like Judaizers, you know, this doesn't sit well with me. But then at the end of the video, uh, this guy was bragging about how he self circumcised. And I was like, okay, this is too much, man. Something's wrong here. And yeah, exactly. And then then he's bragging about, he goes to the hospital and, and all the doctors are saying he did such a good job with his circumcision. I'm like, okay, something's off in in my mental wheelhouse here. And, but what was happening with me? (laughs) and, And I wanted to ask you this, this is kind of a supernatural question, which is what we enjoy. Do you think that there is a spiritual or a even maybe a demonic element with people being pulled into this movement, like where where Paul says, "Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you?" Do you do you, or is that me reading too much in the text? Um, hundred percent. There's a spiritual aspect. Uh, okay, I, I've I've experienced what I can only describe as people with a veil over their eyes. Warfare. Um, and so yeah. I, I agree 100% that there is one. And, and there's also, I will absolutely agree that there is a tendency for those who are, let's say, um, predisposed to conspiracy theories, they yes. are especially um, susceptible to the Hebrew roots idea. There's very much of that kind of hidden knowledge, you know, oh, we know stuff that the whole mainstream church doesn't, doesn't know and, mm-hmm. and never figured out over the last 2000 years. And you can be part of this, you know, the way it was always meant to be that kind of a thing. So there's yeah. definitely part of that. I mean, I've even, dude, I've even had people try to convince me the earth is flat. Um, <laughs> that's, that that's really from, big in I mean, there from yeah. Hebrew roots, right? Yep. Yep. It's really big in that. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So you're right. There's, there's definitely an overlap. The, the thing I love about Heiser, uh, when I first heard about him and his idea of the divine council, and I'm like, okay, here we go. And I, and I got his book and I went, oh, whoa, this is really solid theology. He's not a nut job. He's actually pointing out a really cool aspect, which is that, hey, modern Christianity has kind of lost touch with the supernatural roots of our faith. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, yep. yeah. I love that. I love his principle of, hey, if it sounds weird, if it comes across weird, it's probably a good spot to sit down and start studying because something's yeah. going on there. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, like Genesis 6, 1 through 4. Yeah. But um, yeah. yeah, so I would agree with you that there is a, absolutely a spiritual component. And if you think about it from a logical sense, what, what would Satan want more than to get these believers passionate about the Bible, but twisted in their theology? Absolutely. Right? So it's not coming across as someone bashing the Bible like some, you know, 
uh, rabid atheist that hates God, it, that's easy to detect. But these Hebrew roots, you're like, wow, they seem quite sincere. And they know their scripture really well. It's much more likely to, to lead people away, in my opinion. Matter of fact, I think, is that, uh, I'm trying to remember, I think 1 Timothy 4, um, let me look it up, is... It's a passage where I've start. I've I began to. I don't. I don't want to be you know too bold about it, but begin to think. Wait a second, is this about Hebrew roots? Yeah, it says. And let me read just real quick. First Timothy four verse one. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. And then check out how they how he describes it here through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and, and then here's a big Hebrew roots flag, require abstinence from food that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. And then he goes on to say, for everything created by God is good, you know, on the topic of food, right? Everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. So here you have this idea that the Hebrew roots folks are deceiving people on the issue of kosher food. And Paul, you know, never known to be one to pull his punches, says they're, they're devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teaching of demons. So what le- whatever level that connection might have to the to the Hebrew roots movement, or I mean, I I call it Hebrew roots, but it's most folks don't call themselves that anymore because that word that phrase got a lot of bad press. So now they're Torah observant yeah. or they're Torah keepers, or even some have started yeah. calling themselves pronomian. Um, but yeah, oh, really? same concept. It's like okay, why are you spending all your and like like this like the, <laughs> I just did a a two-part video series on my, on my channel um, about this teacher named Monty Judah. And he is, the stuff he says about eating pork is, it blew my mind. He, he says that God won't listen to your prayers if you eat oh, pork, wow. that, you won't, uh, that, that you won't be able to love God or love your neighbor, that you're going to be kicked, you should be kicked out of the faith community, that if Jesus came back and came to your house and you were serving pork, he would have nothing to do with you. He would reject you. And he even says, it's funny, he says this one. Look at this twisted logic. This is how people get sucked into this. He says, oh, is, is uh, eating kosher a matter of salvation? No, no, that's not what I'm saying at all, he says. But I'll tell you this, if you're eating pork when you get to heaven, God's going to treat you as if you're unholy. And, and I'm like, isn't that the same thing as saying you're not saved? Because what does God do with unholy things? Yeah, you yeah. know they're they're cast out into the fire. I mean, so the, so here's the thing about this that that really blew me away. This guy, this teacher, he's he's in um, Oklahoma. He drums up more passion and and righteous indignation over the concept of or the topic of eating foods, eating clean and unclean. He has more passion on it than the New Testament. The mm-hmm. New Testament comes nowhere. It, nowhere does it even warn us about eating clean or unclean foods. Again, Colossians two sixteen, Paul says, "Don't let anyone judge you about food or drink, or right? days this or feasts or any of that. Anything at the meat market without a question of conscience." Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. there's all these passages where the yeah. Anyway, so so what happens is they become fixated on these rules. And those become their gospel. And that breaks my heart because you think mm-hmm. about, you, don't, you do not see 
Hebrew roots or Torahism as a whole, going out and building houses for people or serving at the local food pantry, right? Or the, mm. or the, or the homeless shelter, or even evangelizing yes. Uh, yes. people who don't know Jesus. What they do is they spend so much of their time preaching to people who already know Jesus, yes. other Christians, to try to get them to change the way that they worship Jesus. And that's, to me, that's a travesty. Yeah. Well, and, and it's yeah. very, it's, it's, it's very cultic, you know, I mean, I know they don't mean to, and I'm not saying the whole, the whole spectrum is cultic, but it, it's, it's a very cultic thing. That's what cults go after is they don't go after the lost per se, as much as they go after the, the Christian, the disgruntled Christian, you know, um, at least Jehovah's Witnesses are right. like that. Yeah, it is cultic. Yeah, right, right. There's a, there's a cultish type of aspect. I wouldn't go so far as saying that all of all who practice that are in a cult, but I certainly yeah. see the tendencies there. You know, especially when I hear from from folks who like oftentimes it's the wife reaching out to me saying my husband won't even oh, let no. me read scripture. And and he has to be the one that reads it and he hardly oh. reads it. He just repeats what the what the Hebrew roots teachers tell tell him about scripture. So, when you start cutting someone off from reading scripture for themselves, to me that smacks of a cult. Mm-hmm. You know, or mm-hmm. or again with this Monty Judah guy when he starts talking about, hey, if I'm if I'm uh, going to sit at a table and have lunch with you, uh, and you and then you're eating unkosher food, uh, I'm going to have to get up and walk away. I cannot have fellowship with you, and you're going to get kicked out of our, our what does he call it, an assembly or whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, so so there's this follow my rules blindly or you're going to get kicked out kind of mentality, which also kind of smacks of cultism. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So, Rob, I was thinking, man, this. Brandon mentioned, along with that Colossians verse, that the you know, idea of feasts and Sabbaths, so I thought. This might be a good time to go into the Sabbath subject, maybe do P&E for it, because that also is bigger than Hebrew roots. And I know Presbyterians whose view of first-day Sabbath-keeping doesn't sound much differently, just a different day, than a lot of Hebrew roots people's view of uh, the seventh day. So, yeah, that... Yeah, the Sabbath is a big one. It's certainly in Hebrew roots, but it's bigger than that. Like you said, you've got Seventh Day Adventists and others who who really yeah. um, push for a Seventh Day Sabbath. And so let me uh, let me kind of touch on a few topics here. Um, one of them is I need to say out from the front, and and I didn't really mention this earlier, but I have no problem with anyone who wants to keep a Seventh Day Sabbath, yeah. or who wants to eat kosher, or who wants to keep a Torah feast or who doesn't want to celebrate Christmas. I mean, you're free to do all those things in Christ. If that's the way you choose, you know, I think there's a, there's a part of it, if I'm being honest, as a Gentile myself, that I think it's pretty weird for another Gentile to want to keep, you know, the, some of the Torah feasts, mm-hmm. uh, because it's a little bit like cultural appro- misappropriation or something. You know, it's about as weird to me as someone that says, I want to... Um, I want to dress in a kimono and keep the Japanese culture. You're yeah. like, okay, well, that's weird, but go for it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah. I don't have a problem. So, so don't hear me saying that I think people have to stop keeping a Saturday Sabbath. Uh, I mm-hmm. don't think the Bible teaches that at all. My, my position actually is that on all those things, which I call mosaic traditions or mosaic rituals, 
since they're no longer laws, um, mm-hmm. is that those things are permitted for Christians, but they're not required. And so the yeah. problem I have is when now we get to the point of evangelizing people and condemning them for not keeping a Saturday Sabbath. Um, and so, you know, and, and I'm able to fully respect someone who says, I keep it. And, and that's great. You can still, you know, we're still brother and sister in Christ. Yeah. So where does the Sabbath come down in scripture? And this is super interesting because I did a really, a, quite a deep dive for my book when it first came out a couple of years ago. Um, yeah. Many people will say the Sabbath was established at creation, which is not actually accurate in terms of, um, well, let me break it down. So Genesis 2, right? On the seventh day, the Lord rested. Absolutely, he did. Uh, that is all we hear. Matter of fact, the, the, the word Shabbat there is used as a verb, right? It's he rested. He Sabbathed on the seventh day. Now, did he go back to work on the eighth day? No. We're still in the seventh day, technically. He, he, when the Lord rested from creation, he stayed rested. It was done. It was, it was great. Now, there are zero commands in Genesis 2 for human beings to keep a seventh-day Sabbath, a weekly Sabbath on the seventh day. Though there, as a matter of fact, if all we had was the book of Genesis, nobody would think that you need to keep a Saturday Sabbath. It, it says nothing of it. The first time we hear about, wow. yeah, I mean, that people mm-hmm. don't realize that. And, and so the first time we hear about Sabbath as a noun, as a weekly rest, is in Exodus 16. So you've got the, the at this point, the Israelites had been rescued out of, out of Egypt. They are wandering around and God gives them manna. And then there's just sort of an offhanded comment as if they had already discussed it. And by the way, gather twice as much manna on the sixth day. That way you can keep your Sabbath rest on the seventh day. And if you're reading along, you're like, what? If you had never heard of the Sabbath, the first thing you might say is, what does that mean? Like, like it's a very strange um, comment, but it is the first mention of the Sabbath. So there's this concept of uh, gathering extra and, and resting on the Sabbath. And then we get into the actual Sabbath commands for, for human beings at Mount Sinai, right? Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5 actually say, Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy and do no work and, and all that. There's, it's one of the, I believe it's the longest commandment in terms of the, the number of words intended to, to uh, describe it. And so what's interesting is you've got two different mentions of the Sabbath, one in Exodus and one in Deuteronomy. And it, it, if you'll recall, or if you're not aware, Deuteronomy is sor- sort of a second reading of the law. Yeah. Uh, you know, the Exodus is the law given at Sinai. And then about a year later, right before they're going to go into the Holy Land, Moses says, we got to read through this again. We need to, we need to renew our understanding of the law. So what's interesting, though, is Exodus 5, uh, I'm sorry, Exodus 20, I think it's verse 5, talks about the, it ties the Sabbath to the, uh, the rescue out of Egypt. Deuteronomy 5 ties the Sabbath to to the creation day, or maybe I have that backwards. But anyway, the Sabbath commandments, when given, are tied both to the, the seventh day of creation and to the um, rescue out of Egypt. So there's, there's very much, um, you know, it's being, it's being positioned or, or set into the history of, of God in the world, right? And so right. the concept there is, look, there's a rest day, and, and it's so beautiful if you study the Sabbath from a Jewish perspective. Um, it's so beautiful in that God was saying, look, you guys are nomadic people. You're out there scrambling. You, you, you know, you have to grow your food and 
and, and, and shepherd your sheep and do all this stuff to scratch and survive out there. And despite all of that, I want you to take a day and rest. I want you to trust in me. You're, you're, you're trusting for my provision. I'm giving you a day of rest. And so what this begins to tie us into is this overarching um, meta-narrative, we'll say, of rest, the, the theme of rest in Scripture, right? And so if we take the, the seventh day of creation, God rested, and what happened? He hung out in the garden with Adam. This was God's ideal. God was supposed to hang out in the garden with Eden. He created humanity to live with him in, in, in his presence and commune with him. This was it. This was great. And then, of course, we screwed it up. And so right. Adam and Eve get kicked out of that. And so what we have is this, from the time that Adam and Eve got kicked out, we have this thread all through Scripture going all the way to Revelation in which God is beginning to or starting to restore or, or, or heading to um, the redemption of the Edenic vision. Uh, Heiser talks about this a lot. The yes, idea that, yes, hey, yeah. we're, we're moving towards this rest in God, right? So even the Sabbath, the weekly Sabbath, as it's discussed, is not intended to be kept forever and ever because it points us to the final Sabbath in the new heaven and the new earth and the new Jerusalem when we're going to rest in God's presence. Um, mm -hmm. And so what you've got is these little prefiguring, these little tastes of it. So God gives Israel a taste of it at, at Mount Sinai and commands it of them that they need to understand because I don't want to get too deep into this. We're, we could talk for hours, but there's this whole concept of holy and common or clean and unclean. And there's these ideas of sacred space, sacred time and all this, and God's trying to teach them. And by extension, he's teaching us today through the yes. Torah that, look, there, there is a right rhythm that God has developed for life. And so the, the Mosaic command for the weekly Sabbath, you shall you know, do no work on it, light no fire in your house. If you violate it, you're going to get killed, which we just talked about, right? Numbers. Um, right. where, where the man's picking up sticks on the Sabbath and gets stoned to death. Okay, so what we need to understand, going back to principle and expression, is that that's the way, at, at Mount Sinai, through Moses, that's the way God expressed his Sabbath command. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a seventh-day rest, you won't do anything, to the point where, you know, centuries later in history, we'll find that there's, there's, other, there's other enemy countries that wait until the Sabbath because they can attack Israel because they know they're not going to be prepared, right? And yeah. so there's this whole... It becomes the identifier of his people. Well, now we fast forward to Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, and Jesus, and, and he brings a new expression of Sabbath, right? It says, Jesus is our Sabbath day rest. And what's interesting is, you guys stop me if I'm rambling too long here. Um, no, no, this is good. Yeah, keep going. What's interesting is that in Hebrews, what the author of Hebrews is doing is he's, he's reminding everybody, he's saying, you remember when you were supposed to go into the promised land and the spies went out and then nobody believed God that they could take the land. So they, because of their unfaithfulness, because they didn't believe the Lord, God said, okay, fine, you're going to wander around for 40 years in the desert before I let you in. God said, they shall not enter my rest. That's the way it's put in, in the Psalms. And yeah. so what happened is because of their unbelief, they were unable to enter God's rest. And so the author of Hebrews is saying um, that don't he's saying it's it's you still have that availability it's still available the opportunity and today is the day to enter god's rest but don't lose faith you have to you have to believe and jesus is our sabbath rest right and so all of the principles that we find behind the original sabbath this idea of 
of resting and trusting God for provision and not thinking that you have to, uh, to, to work your butt off seven days a week just to make ends meet. You know, trusting the, the creator of the universe is going to take care of your needs. Um, and then you have this idea of, of, of family time and, and devotion to God and, you know, setting aside a specific time that's, again, in this idea of sacred time, it's set apart from the rest of the world. Um, so that it's expressed differently under the new covenant and, or the, yeah, the new covenant. And so in the New Testament, here's a weird thing many people don't realize. Of the Ten Commandments, all nine are repeated and endorsed and retaught somewhere in the New Testament. The Sabbath is the only one that isn't. Mm. Um, and so what's interesting about that to me is the principles behind the Sabbath absolutely are. And again, the Sabbath has never been forbidden. And, and, and I'll add this too for our Hebrew Roots friends who are listening. No, I don't think anybody changed the Sabbath to Sunday. Sunday is not no. a Sabbath day, no. right? It, no. right? Right. So right. I reject that idea. The Sabbath still is the Sabbath. And, and the, the question is, you know, in, under the New Testament, every day is set aside as a special day for the Lord. Romans 14 talks about that. You know, some people esteem one day as better than another. Other esteem them all, the, all to be equal. Well, uh, because of the New Covenant, because of the work of Jesus, I think we, we miss the fact, the, the cosmic, mind-blowing change that happened because of what Jesus did, because of his sinless sacrifice for us. So much stuff changed. So, so today that we end up with the outcome of, okay, what, what's the, okay, Rob, stop with the theology talk. Tell me plainly, do I need to keep the Sabbath? <laughs> and, you know, my answer is yes and no. Uh, yes, you need to keep it in terms of principle, you should be, we all should be, and I'm, I'll admit I'm not very good at this, we all should be setting aside time um, yes. for the yeah. Lord. We should all be, you know, establishing a period, carving out a, a piece of our lives, the time in our lives to, to worship Him, to think about Him. Um, but it's not, we aren't beholden to the mosaic expression of the weekly Seventh-day commands. Mm-hmm. We, aren't, we aren't, first of all, thank God, we literally, we are not subject to the death penalty <laughs> if we yes. pick up sticks on the Sabbath. Um, but also this whole thing about rest and, and all that. I mean, I believe it's perfectly honorable on your Sabbath. If you say, I'm setting aside this day to serve the Lord and my family, and I'm going to go mow my neighbor's lawn, or I'm going to go work down at the local soup kitchen on the Sabbath. Mm-hmm. That yeah. is honoring the Lord. That is... Yes. Setting aside yep. a day of your, and I'm not working. I'm not trying to earn money. I'm here to serve. It's um, the so to me, of the that's law. the way. Yes, yeah, it's, that's a great way to put it. Yeah, it's the spirit of the law, you know, not the letter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, getting legalistic about it is exactly what Jesus fought against in all mm-hmm. his oh, yeah. clashes. And every time yeah. we hear Jesus talk about the Sabbath, it is in the context of clashing with the Pharisees over the legalistic rules that they added. Yeah. Um, and so that should tell us something too, right? He's the Lord of the Sabbath, and He is our Sabbath in a very real sense. Now, again, if someone wants to, from sundown Friday until sundown Saturday, have some particular set of rules, that the things they don't do, go for it. Mm-hmm. If you're doing that out of a motivation of honoring the Lord, um, that's beautiful. If you're doing that because you feel legally required and obligated, then that's completely missing the point. Well, it's it's like one of my mentors uh, that I've read for years. He's since gone to be with the Lord, but I, I love him. He is Dallas Willard. He said it like this. He said, God is not adverse to effort. He's adverse to merit. 
And I know that oh, applies that's beautiful. In, it, it applies in so many wow. different areas, but it really applies here. You know, um, you know, we can have effort on the Sabbath, but it's we're not trying to meritorious and, and you know earn earn credits and and all that or keep credits. See, that's that's a something I've noticed in some of the spectrums of the Hebrew roots is yeah, you get in by grace, but you got to keep it by you know blood, sweat, and tears. Yeah. You know? Oh my yep. gosh, and, yeah. Yeah. And so, well, there's a lot of legalistic denominations besides Hebrew roots that do that too. Oh, but, absolutely. Uh, but yeah. Uh, and, and, and there's a real, you know, there's a real misunderstanding of what obedience is too. And obedience is, is just, you know, coming out of a heart of love from relationship with, with God. And, and I think that's what's, what people are attracted to is the relationship. And they think that, that this is going to grow them in the relationship. And they, they begin to realize that no, actually it, it it's putting a barrier between mm-hmm. not only my relationship with God, because I, I feel guilt and shame and this stuff, but also relationships with other people as well. And, yeah, and on that, very true. On, on that note, Rob, I, I want to, uh, uh, uh get just kind of, wrap this up and I want, but I want you to do two things if you would for us. First, I want you to pray for us at the end and pray for anybody out there that's struggling with, uh, you know, what I'm about to talk about, but I just like for you to enumerate just very briefly. What are some principles that we can use to, to minister into that? My big word is to love them into the kingdom or love them back into the kingdom, you know, that you've, sure. that you've accumulated. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what, the ministry of presence is something I have overlooked mm, personally for, for mm. quite a bit. That's I've really always good. thought that's not enough. But there is something about just showing up, even the wow. very active, show- <laughs> even if you don't say some profound prayer and you don't necessarily do any big, anything big, the fact that you're there when someone might need you when they're going through a tough time, when they're struggling, or when they're celebrating some big victory and you show up, and you are part of what they're doing, that says a lot. Um, it certainly isn't everything that we need to do, but that, I, I just, that's the first thing that popped into my mind. Um, and then, I mean, the biggest thing, you think about, okay, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Love, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So when you start thinking about love from a biblical perspective, which is what we're called to, right? That's what right. Jesus says. The world will know you're my disciple by your love for one another. So how do we express that love? I think the biggest thing for me that was kind of an a eye-opener, uh, a revelation about love, is that the very dish definition of love is other-facing. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to offend anybody, but when we have all these self-love things, and I'm not going to go into a whole no. lot of detail, yeah, you, need, no, to, you yeah. need to know who you are as a son or daughter of the king, for sure. But Yes, I, I didn't support it, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. But love is about other people. Love is about yes. God. Love is yep. doing something that you don't want to do because it's going to bless somebody else. And so... Just doing that, I mean, serving other people to me is the biggest witness. We, we do, my wife and I, I mentioned this, I think maybe it was off air, but my wife and I are part of a prison ministry. It's called Behind the Walls. It's been around for like 50 years and we play music and we go into prisons all over the country. And the, you know, so we'll, we'll go in, we'll play some music out in the yard and, and hang out with the prisoners and, and, you know, share the gospel and talk to them. And, and that, they appreciate that all, especially as amazing as my wife is as a singer, they're like, whoa. But here's the thing that blows my mind almost every time is we usually do a morning service and an afternoon. I say service, but it's not really 
uh, it's not a church service. It's basically a concert. Um, and so in between, we know between the yards, we go and eat prison. We eat lunch with the prisoners and we go in and we sit down and let me tell you, eh, prison food is horrible. Just as you yes. might expect. It's like, yes. Oh, this is, is this chili or is this spaghetti or what is this? Yeah. I don't know what this yeah. <laughs> Anyway, yeah. the point is it's such a small thing. Uh, and, and every single time people are like, dude, I can't believe you're sitting in here with us. Why are you doing that? Um, and so they might think to themselves, oh yeah, you want to come and play music. That's great. But now you're just going to come and chat with me about where I'm from and what bands I like. And you know what I mean? It's just kind of, in a sense, you would look at it and go, that's kind of a mundane thing to do, but it's the ministry of presence. It's being with people and showing them that they're worth something because God showed us that we're worth something, you know? Well, so to me, that's a big thing. I have to say this, Rob. Uh, you do this, and 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 I can see the sincerity in how you do this. I've watched the debates that you've had on YouTube, and 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 I'm not knocking your opponents, but there's just a, such a difference in spirit and mercy on your side versus some of some of the other ones, not all of them, but some of the other guys. Yeah. And and that is what drew me into to want to you know have you on the show and, and talk to you is is because of that 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 you know that patience and that mercy that you had that you 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 oh, don't demonize God. you don't demonize these guys as heretics or whatever you see them as people just like us who you know and I love this NT Wright said it so well he said you know 80% of what I'm going to teach is is the truth the other 20%s not if if I knew what the 20% was I'd change it you know and <laughs> and very true but that's all of us you know even these guys we have to realize oh, yeah. that these guys are deceived and I, and that's not a boogeyman word that's just a reality you know like we all are in in certain areas and yep and i i see that on your youtube videos and that i was just like man i want to have the heart that this guy has for people who are along the way instead of you know like most discernment ministries you know when you said the word apologist at first it's like i used to be in that realm and i'm like i just cringe because uh, back in my older days, apology came with a baseball bat with a Bible wrapped around it. I don't know if you've seen that right. video, oh, but, I know. but <laughs> <laughs> yep. and, and so and, and I want to love people in a in a real way. I'm gonna tell you the truth in love. I was always like, that's like, let's get ready to hear it. I'm about to get bit, beat over the head, but I really, <laughs> yeah, I really, I really want to love people with the truth in love, and it's tender and it's merciful and it's truthful. But it's it, but it's always others focused. You know, I had a professor in seminary who basically yeah. said that it's self giving love, self giving love. I want to have self giving love like the Trinity had, you know, or has amongst himself. You know, and right. and that right. and that's that's what you're getting down to. We image God when we love Him and we love other people. You know, yeah, I love that. And, you're using yep. image as a verb, like Heiser did. Yeah, yeah, yep. that's no, that's great. And I, you know, I, I have to thank you, man. That means a lot to me. And I'm just sitting here praising God while you're talking about this because that is intentional and doesn't come natural. And if you heard all the things in my head and out of my mouth behind <laughs> the scenes as I'm preparing, as I'm reading these things, you know, I'll admit that's not always my first fleshly response when someone says stuff. And people can be very, very cruel. But it's Very only cruel. through the Holy Spirit, you know. It's it's the work that God does with me in my in my morning prayer time, to to hopefully, you know, uh, rub off those rough edges that that um, instant tendency to want to strike back and all that. Mm. And, and that's nothing but the Holy Spirit. So I really it, it means a lot to me that you that you pointed that out. 
Um, and that's yeah. a, a, that was uh, honestly like in my, in my, <laughs> in my debate with Rabbi Singer last summer here in Nashville. Oh my gosh. My, I had a debate coach, so to speak. It's, he's my nephew, but he's just the most brilliant kid I've ever met. And he was a, he was a debater in, in college. And so he's coaching me, um, on a formal debate, how it works back and forth, what I should do, what I shouldn't do. And, and his whole mindset was scoring points. And I said, okay, I, I could, I don't know if there's, it's possible for me to care less about scoring a point. Here's, here's my approach. And I explained to him, I'm going in front of 300 people that 90% of them will be non-believing. And what I want them to do is remember something about Jesus. Don't care what they think about me. I don't care if they think I scored a point against the rabbi or not. What I want mm -hmm. them is to, I want to leave them with some facts about Jesus. Yes, that's number one. But number two, I want to leave them thinking, oh, if that guy's a Christian, I could probably hang out with Christians. You know, mm -hmm. he's in a, he's a, I'm a billboard. I'm an ambassador for Christ. And I said, that's my primary. I, I don't care about winning the debate. And, you know, whether I won or not, I have no idea. I, I'll tell you for sure, I did way worse than I intended. But at the end of the day, I just had to give it all to God and say, I hope some of this brought, brought you glory. I hope someone out there thinks of Jesus in a different way than they did when they walked in. That's my goal. Well, you know, I, I told, I told Lindsay before the interview, I said, this, this dude is the kind of guy that if, if I live local in Nashville, I don't know if you drink, but I'd, I'd go have a beer with him and I'd talk music and we would talk theology. I said, that's, that's the kind of guy that he is. He's so approachable. And I, it comes through in your ministry. So we oh, really thank appreciate you, what yeah, you're so doing. Yeah. You, um, you owe me a beer and a meal when you come to Nashville next time. Hey, I'll do it. <laughs> All right. Well, I have one more question that that, sure. that we ask we ask most of our our guests, and, and it's it's out of your wheelhouse, but I just want to. I, I know you have one. <laughs> we we always like for people to tell us the most supernatural thing that they've experienced since they've been saved. Can you can you share it, or oh, wow. is it okay wow. to say that? Yeah, I'm just trying to think. I've had so many. <laughs> okay, I've had three. Um. Okay, I'll try to describe this to you. Um, okay. Again, I'm going back to the prison ministry. My wife and I were playing at Riverbend Maximum Security Prison here in Nashville. After um, the prison yard number one, as I mentioned, we typically go and eat with the, with the inmates, and then we go to yeah. play our second concert. This particular day, the associate warden came out to our group and said, would anyone like to go to death row? And while I was still in a little bit of a state of shock and wondering what I should do, my wife raised her hand and said, can we bring our guitar? And the guy goes, yeah, come on. And so before I even was cognizant if I really wanted to do it, we were off uh, wow. and spending our lunch hour. So we, so we walk into this room and it's a two-story high um, octag octagonal sort of shaped room cement block walls, all that kind of stuff. Just kind of what you think about for a prison. And on the way there, the warden is telling us and our ministry leaders are telling us, first of all, this is a men's prison. So Deb, are you sure you want to do this? There, there may be, and I don't want to gross anyone out, but there may be things thrown at you that you don't want thrown at you through the little slit in the door of where these guys are staying, right? Deb's like, yeah. I don't care. I have to do this. Um, my wife's amazing. So mm. we show up and the guys are not in their cells. They're sitting out in the main area at these kind of picnic tables. 
and they're all the rules were given. Don't talk to, or don't, um, and we can talk, don't hug them, you know, don't give them anything. Don't give them money. Don't get, you know, all this kind of stuff. Right. We walk in this one dude, Kevin is his name. Uh, just a little, I don't know, maybe 50 year old black guy, um, skinny little guy just comes running up to us and, and gives us a big hug. The, the nicest, like you could hang out with this guy. I'm like, is he a, a chaplain here or something? He's, he's talking like a pastor. Turns out he got his seminary degree while on death row. And he said it's his job to, he feels like God put him there to minister to the other guys. There's probably 11 or 12 guys, right? So we sit down and we start playing. And, and for those of you that don't know this song, I would recommend you just look it up after you hear the story. It's, it's, it gave me chills. So there's a song called Come to Jesus by an artist named Mindy Smith. It's, an, it's a maybe 20-year-old okay. song. It's kind of an Americana song. Um, and Deb, my wife, sings it super bluesy and passionate and stuff. So w- once we started playing, and there's no PA, there's nothing. It's me playing an uh, acoustic guitar and my wife just singing out into the air, right? As soon as we start playing, there was this, I almost just started bawling. There was this sense of, there was this spirit that fell on the room. And there were guys, some of the guys that were sitting there, the inmates, were what you might think of a psychopath killer would look like. Dead behind the eyes, right? Nothing, no, no expression. Some of the guys were, like Kevin, just loved it. But there was this one guy in particular, and this is kind of where I'm getting to this experience that we had. There's this guy that, had been scheduled to be executed two weeks prior. The governor stayed his execution because there were administrative difficulties or technicalities, and he didn't want anything, not even one little dot to be out of place. So he stayed his execution. In other words, this guy would not have been there had the execution gone forward. We never would have met him. Mm-hmm. He was one of these stone cold killers, dead behind the eyes. And Deb just had this sense. And if you listen to the last, the last verse of this song, and the last verse, by the way, is sung a cappella. So I just let the guitar chord ring, and then she's singing oh, uh, about, um, oh, my baby, when you're dying, you know? And, and, and the, the, the lyrics are, come to Jesus, let him hold you in his arms. And this guy, oh my gosh, we just, I just had such a feeling. I could, I could almost not look at anybody because there was this constant, almost like there was, you know, like, the, like if you're standing next to a heater or something, this constant... Mm-hmm radiating mm-hmm. um sense it's it's, oh, it's so hard to describe she so deb locks eyes with this guy while she's singing these words and he had been avoiding us for the first few songs and his eyes locked on hers and it, kind of the whole room noticed it and there was this weird dude, I don't even know what to call it, spiritual energy or something. And we see, and I'm watching his face, everyone's kind of staring at his face, and and you see his chin start to quiver, and you see one little teardrop, you know, dropping down his tattooed cheek. Um, And he didn't smile, he didn't say anything, you know, and the the last words, you know, um, come to Jesus and let him hold you in his arms. There was this Oh, I don't know, 20 second solemn Holy Spirit silence where things just mm. kind of fell in and settled in. And then, you know, the guys kind of dispersed and were done. And Kevin, this pastor guy, right? This pastor guy on death row comes up to us and he said, 
I always see demons in here. He said, I, can, I, I catch them out of the corner of my eye. And he goes, I know you're going to think I'm crazy or whatever, but he said, they're actually, I see the movement and I turn my head and, and they're gone. And he said, this was the, the, the time when they were gone. They, there was nothing in here. It was like this beautiful mm. emptiness. The demons wow. were gone. And, you know, he was telling us he hopes they don't come back kind of thing. And I'm thinking, dude, I believe you more than you might think I do. <laughs> so it was, <laughs> totally. uh, th- yeah. yeah. And so we left there and it was an otherworldly experience for us. To, mm. it, it's hard to describe because if you saw a picture of it or a video, I don't think you would fully sense what was going on in that moment. You had to be um, there. Yeah. And uh, Dude, I'm telling you, it it has stick stuck with us for the last two years. That wow, that feeling that we had, and it actually is kind of what keeps us going back to prisons, is because we understand that there's darkness, there's demonic forces at play there, and we are. Deb said she felt like she said I felt like I was in a dark cave, and God gave me this big bright torch, and I was holding it out in front of me, and all the darkness was receding as as the words came out of my mouth. That was like, I don't know, that was so cool. I tell you what, I I teared up a little bit, and I haven't even heard the song. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you, you'll love the song. We, we do it even like bluesier and grittier than she does, the original artist. Mm. Um, yeah. I just think but, about yeah. the Lord's Prayer, like, uh, on earth as in heaven. It's like y'all are bringing heaven into that dark place, you know? And, oh, that's what and it felt like, yeah. It's like, it's just not like eternity. Stop. It's like, was it like timeless? Did you like not experience time going it was like you were just there. Yes. Is that what yeah. it's kind of like? And it, yeah. was, it was exactly like that. I was unaware of time and I was also unaware of myself. I didn't even have oh, those wow. kind of thoughts where I, I, wasn't, I, I wasn't thinking to myself, I can't believe I'm he's sitting here on death row. I wasn't even thinking about myself. It was so wow. uncanny. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then cool. to be, you know, and to be used like that, and it's just this reminder because, you know, we, I'm a professor, I'm a logic guy, I'm a theologian and, and you know, left brain, whatever, to be reminded that, that there's so much more, that there's so, so much deepness. Um, there's so much spiritually going on around us that we can't see or even fully understand. That was a really good, like, um, I needed to have some sense knocked into me by the Holy Spirit to remind me that, no, it's not about, you know, some sort of exegetical understanding of ancient texts. This is about a living God who's here with you right in this moment it uh, blew my mind wow mm. wow yeah yeah that's profound that's that's one of our best stories i'm telling you that's, yeah that's, that's totally better good. than any skinwalker or giant story <laughs> definitely <laughs> yeah so yeah, yeah. well good thank thank you rob so much for being on the show and, and we are so honored to have you on here i mean i, oh, I, I just kind of I just kind of took a risk, and I, I was telling Lindsay, I'm reading this book by this dude, man, and I got it in my Kindle, too. You can read that in there. And and I said, uh, I want to get him on the show because this is what we're going through in the fringe circles. If we're going through a big influx of uh, – uh, uh, and I, you probably won't know who they are, but there's been several really big names in the fringe movement that have succumbed to tourism. And, uh, mm. and, I, and I know it's because we – we set the, the the plate, so to speak, with the Hebrew, and we dive into that with with the Gen Six and Heiser yeah. and and all that stuff. And so we go into the, and then you then you start, like you said, it's fascinating, and then it becomes you know whatever the next word is, it kind of draws you in and 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 all that stuff. And so I just had to have you on the show. So thank you so much. Yeah, again oh, this for, is that's what I'm here for. I appreciate the yeah, my joy. Yeah, thanks, man. 
Yeah, all, all, right. all glory to the Father for any of this stuff. So yeah. I, I appreciate right. it. Hopefully someone who's hearing us is getting something that God wanted them to get out of this conversation. Yeah, all it takes is one seed, you know. But hey, hey, let's uh before we wrap up, let give them your deets. Uh, tell them where they can find you and all that kind of good stuff. Oh sure, yeah. So um, R L Solberg, Robert Luke Solberg, um, is my website. R L Solberg dot com. That's probably the 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 best place to go for a central location. You can you can find out about my books there. You can click the videos link in the main menu that'll bring you over to my YouTube channel, which is um called Defending the biblical roots of Christianity. And so I've got, I don't know, we're coming up on 200 videos almost. So um, a lot of it's about Hebrew roots, not all of it. We're doing some Bible study stuff. We did a whole series on Galatians. We're in the middle of one on Hebrews now. So there's some stuff like that, but there's a lot of any, if you've, if you've dealt with Hebrew roots or Torahism or Torah observance or whatever, I'm sure I've got some video there with on a topic that you're interested in because the the topics that they cover aren't super wide ranging and I've done lots of videos on them for the very purpose of helping to arm believers to understand the biblical truth behind some of these things. Do we need to eat kosher? Do we need to keep the Sabbath? Should we keep the feast? Is Christmas pagan? Is Easter pagan? All these kinds of conversations, right? How do we live? What are our commands today under the new covenant? Those sorts of things. So that's a lot, you know, on my, on my website, you'll also find um, a, a number of articles. Some of them are more scholarly uh, if you want to read through those. But yeah, a number yeah. of articles on the same same general theological vicinity. So yeah, that's probably the best way to get a hold of me. Yeah, I have Divergent is in my queue. I, I, that's my next book I'm going to read. So I'm looking forward to oh, that. Oh yeah. So yeah. That, yeah, that's more of a history one. And I actually did a um, podcast series basically going through that book too. Oh, did you really? That, that might mm-hmm. be something to get, get you on next time for, because the, I, I'm really into the church fathers and they have a lot to say about a lot of this kind of stuff. I, yeah. You, oh, you'll, you'll so, like that book then. Yeah. I quote from them a lot. We talk a lot about, you know, dialogue with Trifo and the, the Didache and all kinds of stuff. It's super mm-hmm. interesting. I, I honestly wrote that because I wanted to know. <laughs> and I thought, oh, well, if I wanted to know, maybe I'll write about what I'm researching and other people can know the same thing. So it was very cool, very interesting um, research project. Well, once again, thank you, Rob. We appreciate it. And uh, yes, I thank encourage- you so much, man. I encourage everybody Absolutely. out there to check out his stuff. And if you have anybody that's going through this type of stuff, you know, um, he seems pretty open. Reach out to him or, or connect with his, his YouTube videos and his, his website. So thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks for listening and supporting us. And remember... Stay naturally supernatural.